Hey, folks, how you doing? Good. Good, good. <laughs> you weren't asking me, but I'll answer anyway. Yeah, I'll, you know, what the hell, why not? Um, just before this episode starts, we want to say thanks to uh, everyone because we've been nominated for an Australian Podcast Award for Best Fan Cast. That's right. We submitted our application, I think, late last year, early this year? Early this year, I think, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and uh, to be nominated, there was a popular vote. And we finished in the top 100. And, uh, yeah, we were nominated in the category of Best Fan Cast. Yeah, for a critical vote as well. So, uh, yeah, we just want to thank those who have voted for us. Like, we didn't expect so many votes. And, uh, yeah, just want to thank you for listening to us and uh, being with us, whether you've been with us since Episode 1 or, you know, you're a new listener. It's uh, been really great. And uh, want to thank also our uh, occasional co-host and guest, Stacey. Uh, you know, for helping us out at the start of the year, being in a couple of episodes and also being our guests. So uh, it's been awesome. Thanks, Chase. Yeah. I, you know, we were genuinely shocked. I, yeah, yeah. I didn't think that we were in with a chance of a nomination. Yeah, I, I didn't think so either. But when we got the results last Thursday, uh, <laughs> I was genuinely surprised. And uh, yeah, we're stoked. So we're in Melbourne and we're heading up to Sydney for the awards uh, in late May. I think it's May 19, May 20. Is that I right? I think May 18. May is 18. The ceremony. I'm yeah. quite sure. Yeah. Yep. So we'll be yeah. we'll be rubbing shoulders with Australia's podcast elite. Oh la dee da. Go us. Go us. I know. So yeah, just thanks again for you for supporting us and voting for us if you did vote in the popular vote and yeah we're wrapped that we were in the top 100 popular votes yeah just that's, to be that's insane to be counted amongst you know <laughs> out really of like 300 and something yeah, yeah 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 definitely insane. and i mean the fact that we had enough fans and, and listeners who thought that we deserved to vote is is flattering and to be included amongst you know some of the best podcasters and content producers in australia is even better yeah and uh we will be up against five other podcasts in the fancast award we'll be up against neighbors which is uh something i'm a fan of just the wordplay the, the even though i don't like neighbors yeah, the Neighbours Recap podcast. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Uh, also, Club Soderberg, which is a podcast about Steve Soderberg's works. Yes. Uh, Eyes on Gilead, which is an SBS-produced Handmaiden's Tale podcast. Very good podcast. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Brink yeah. of Reality, which is a Survivor podcast. Uh, and finally, One Heat Minute, which is a podcast that breaks down the movie Heat is, with yeah. Al Pacino and Robert De Niro, minute by minute. Oh, it's brilliant. <laughs> and there's also interviews, I think, with other like people who used to work oh, on the okay. film and also movie critics and stuff. Yeah, it's really well made. I think one guy does it. Okay. And it's really well made. Yeah. Nice. Admittedly, yeah. I haven't really listened to the other podcasts, but I will be between now and uh, the award ceremony in a couple of months. So, yeah. yeah, best of luck to to us and to everyone. And, yeah, thanks again for voting. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. And on to this week's episode. That's right. Did that get into my car? Hey, look, you walk in this city, you gotta expect things are gonna stick to your foot. You hop in your car and ping, condom. <laughs> that doesn't explain the lipstick on the dashboard. Here, take a few shirts. What? I'm terribly sorry, Mr. Kramer, but we can't get your car now. The keys seem to have been misplaced. Wait a minute, I need those keys. I won't be able to get into my apartment. Hey, Mr. Kramer, you like Cadillacs? But I don't want to be a secondary character. Hello there, and welcome to this week's episode, the 94th uh, so far episode of But I Don't Want to Be a Secondary Character. I'm Stephen. I'm Ivan. How you doing? Good, man. Good, good, good. Uh, this week uh, on But I Don't Want to Be a Secondary Character, we are doing The Wigmaster, another Season 7 episode after last week's two-parter, uh, The Cadillac. 
Yeah, that's right. And uh, it is episode 19 of season 7. And you're probably wondering, Ivan, are you drowning, Stephen? No, we're actually doing it over Skype today. So, uh, yeah, so we'll do our best. <laughs> There's no, because um, my internet's pretty crap where I am at the moment. It's pretty hard for me to record video. So I'm doing it on audio. So I'm relying on Stephen's voice. And I can see him, but I, he can't see me. So I'm relying on him and his mannerisms to get us through. So if there's any delays or any big pauses or anything, we do apologize in advance. This isn't normal. If you're a first-time listener, this isn't how we normally do stuff. Yeah, normally we record uh, at your at your house, which is also dubbed the HE Penny Packer Studios. Uh, and we will be back there next week. Mmm, Machu Picchu. Mmm, <laughs> <laughs> Machu Picchu. Uh, before we crack on the episode crack on with the episode, uh, if you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at bidwabask, B-I-D-W-B-A-S-C podcast at gmail.com. You can check us out on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Reddit. Just type in Seinfeld or Bidwabask and uh, we'll pop up. Uh, you can also check us out uh, on every podcast app and service that's available, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, whatever. Um, we're there. And if you want to be uh, so kind as to leave a review or uh, tell your friends or family or anyone else who you might think uh, enjoy us, uh, that would be awesome. And finally, you can check out our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash P-I-D-W-B-A-S-C. Uh, we've got a few different tiers depending on uh, what you want, uh, early access to episodes uh, and a few other bits and pieces that are coming up uh, that we've got on the burner. So head to Patreon to check that out. That's right, yes. And uh, we do have also tiers for content creators as well as uh, sponsors. If you have a business or a startup or something and you want to promote it on the uh, podcast, there's a special tier for you on Patreon. That's right. Uh, yeah, so make sure you head along and check us out. Uh, and if you are supporting us already, uh, thank you so much. And uh, yeah, if you want to, if you want to join our two patrons already, a huge number, <laughs> third, fourth, fifth, or sixth, or seventh, or whatever, uh, head along. If you want to be like our current patrons, Tim and Greg, thanks for your support, guys. You know, you want to be like them, sign up. It'd be great. That's right. Sign up. S I E N. Sorry, S E I N. That's how you spell yeah. sign. Yeah. <laughs> I fucked, up, I fucked up my own pun. That's a bit left of Feld, Stephen, that, uh, that comment. <laughs> Jeez. I'm just wigging, I'm just wigging out. <laughs> You're the master. Normally I am. Yes. And uh, today's character, Steve, I have notes on Ethan the Wigmaster, as well as Craig Stewart, uh, Jiffy Park guy. He actually makes his second appearance on the show. He was in the Muffin Tops previously. And also Bob the Manager. Uh, who do you have notes on as well? Uh, as well as those uh, secondary characters you mentioned, I've got a few notes uh, on Charmaine, uh, the manager of the Andover store, the prostitute, as she's credited, uh, and a few other minor characters, uh, like Ian. As, uh, <laughs> it's Craig. Ian. Uh, Ian. Not Ian, but Ian. Ian. Craig. Excellent. Not, yeah, Craig, not Craig. <laughs> Craig Stewart. Craig I love Stewart. Craig. It's it's Craig. Love his ponytail. Yeah, definitely a uh, 80s mullet, but kind of 90s-ified. It's a bit of a – it's a good representation of the, the, the crossover of fashion from 80s into the mid-90s. Yeah, I could definitely see him as like, you know, in a Kenny G – Kenny G's band or something, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I could imagine. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of half creepy, half smooth. Yeah. Kind of like his character, which we'll talk about uh, soon enough. Uh, before we do crack on with the secondary characters, though, uh, you've got this week's Seinfeldia? Uh, yeah, I do. So every week we do have a Seinfeld trivia fact. So today, in no particular or random order, 
Here is today's trivia fact for Seinfeld. Pitching ideas to Larry David and Jerry Seinfeld was difficult, especially when it came to pleasing David. When he was bored, which was most of the time, (laughs) he'd stretch one of his shoulders in circles, one direction and then the other. To reject an idea, he'd say, no, I don't love that one. If he hated something, he'd say, I could see that on another show. There you go. Yeah, pretty uh, not really easy to please. No, he's a he's a difficult man generally, so that doesn't surprise me in the least. <laughs> yes, and he's a Bernie Sanders lookalike, so that, that makes is. it fun too. He's actually he's actually Bernie Sanders. Imagine <laughs> if Larry David was president of the United States and also the most powerful man uh, in the or at least in the West. Yeah, I don't know. Life would be a bit stranger. Not that it isn't strange already. Uh, with the current state of politics, but that would even be another level of strange. Season 11 of Curb Your Enthusiasm would be so weird. I know. It would be like Veep cross with Curb Your Enthusiasm cross with Seinfeld. It would just be too too meta and too weird, especially for us being Seinfeld fans. <laughs> exactly. But it would be, it would work, so who knows? I think yeah. it would work. I think it would. Uh, Seinfeldism. Yeah. Uh, so uh, if anything related to Seinfeld happens in our personal lives, we mention it. Um, because I think it's pretty important. Uh, do you have any this week? I have one, actually. So uh, it's actually a podcast that I'm starting to listen to. It was actually given to us by our superfan, Jeffrey, who's been with us since episode one. So thanks very much, mate. Um, Steve Heitner, a.k.a. Kenny Banya, has a podcast. Oh, yeah, I saw the, I think he tweeted about it or sent a message or something. I saw that through the week. Yeah, that's right. That's gold. So it's mostly about American sports. Um, when I started listening to it, I think Steve was doing a tour or he was away or something, but now he's back. And, uh, yeah, they talk mostly about sports. Um, I don't know most of it, but it's just fun. It's good. He's a good podcaster. And, uh, yeah, it's a very enjoyable show, even though I don't know what they're saying 80% of the time. <laughs> Does he sound like Banya? Does he have the real upbeat, chirpy voice like Banya? Uh, it's upbeat and it's chirpy, but it's not. I, I think Steve probably put it on quite a bit when he did Banya, but he does have a kind of, he talks like this, but he's not yeah. punishy, you know, like Banya. So, yeah. He's got a nasally voice. Does he ever talk about Seinfeld because that's his, what he's, what he's known for? Well, well, like I said, last week I started listening to it, but he was away, so um, he only came back today, I'm pretty sure, or yesterday. Um, no, he didn't really mention much about Seinfeld, really, but I think because he used his Kenny Banya persona, he called the podcast That's Gold, and uh, yeah, it kind of worked out. Makes sense. It reminds me of the, I can't remember his name in real life, the the, the soup Nazi, the, the real-life soup Nazi creating Superman, you know, sort of leveraging off the popularity of the character for another 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 thing that he's doing. Yeah, that's right. What's his name? Barry Comus. <laughs> uh, is that a joke? That went over my head. Yeah, that's a joke. Sorry. Okay. You, you, Skype. I guess jokes can't really translate through Skype, can they? Uh, no. <laughs> if they could, they can. <laughs> oh, this uh, is fun. <laughs> it is fun. It's first time fun. listeners. First time listeners are probably like, "Oh, these guys. What the hell's wrong with these people?" <laughs> I think they think that anyway. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I also have a Seinfeldism related to podcasts. Uh, this is basically the same as last week where I listen to a lot of podcasts and because of that, uh, a lot of them are about pop culture and stuff like that, especially 90s pop culture, Simpsons and all sorts of things. And uh, during during the week I was listening to a podcast and they made mention of Seinfeld. I can't remember what the reference was or what, what the podcast was, but uh, I just made a mental note that that happened again. It happens most weeks actually. Isn't <laughs> so it's it? kind of a... It's an ever-reliable Seinfeldism. Isn't that the third time in a row it's happened to you? 
Uh, definitely the second. Not sure about the third, but it happens a lot. Because I swear it happened to you once a while ago. You were like, I listened to a podcast and they did the Seinfeld theme or something and or they talked about Seinfeld. It's happened many times. I know that it happened this week and last week. I can't remember two weeks ago, but it's happened more than twice for sure. I can't remember what I did two days ago. Exactly. <laughs> I'm going see now. That's right. <laughs> uh, shall we do some Seinfeld news? Yeah. How many pieces do you have today? Uh, three. Cool. Let's do it. Off you go. So the first is not news per se, but a listicle. Uh, it's a word I've learned recently, and it's a word that I use a bit more than necessary. Uh, it's an article in a list. I think I learned it from uh, a, a, some sort of article or something. Anyway, Mental Floss, which is a pop culture website, has compiled a listicle uh, called Six of the Best Seinfeld Fan Theories, which is a slightly different list. Normally it's top 10 episodes or top 10 characters or you know, top real-life Seinfeld moments or whatever. So yeah, this one yeah. uh, I thought was worth mentioning. Sure. Yeah, all right. So what happened? Yeah, so six of the, the best fan theories, and a lot of these are compiled just from message boards and, you know, fans talking about it over the 20 or so years since Seinfeld's been off the air. Uh, you can head to Mental Floss and check it out. And they're all really good, but the ones I just wanted to make note of are two of my favorite. They both involve Kramer. And they're both to do with how he makes a living and, and survives in New York when he doesn't seem to really have any stable income or uh, consistent employment. And one of them is that he's actually a widow. Uh, he apparently, according to this fan theory, he was married at some point. I mean, he never mentions a wife or any sort of marriage or anything in the past. So it's a bit of a stretch as far as I'm concerned. But the thing that kind of makes sense about him potentially being a widow is that he would be, maybe be living off an inheritance. And that's why he can just not work and live pretty comfortably and not seeming, you know, not stress about money. Well, we have theorized in the past that Kramer, because he, he holds on to his father's wedding ring. Like we, I always theorize that Kramer maybe inherited money from his father. You know, maybe yeah. his father was wealthy or something, a very bespoke man like his son, and uh, Kramer inherited the money, and that's why he doesn't have to work. That's what I always hypothesized. But, okay, so he was married. Is that what yeah, the fans' theory says? Now, yeah, now he's a widow. So, that I mean, it makes sense um, when you think about it from his financial security point of view, but from his character point of view, it's a bit of a stretch. I think, I think our theory of him maybe being... Uh, you know, independently wealthy from a, a paternal inheritance makes a bit more sense. Yeah. Because because his mother's there and, I don't know, it just seems to line up a bit more. I, I couldn't even see Kramer being someone who would want to get married because of the Kavorka and, you know, just his character. It just doesn't doesn't it doesn't it add up wholly for me about him being a widow. So you dismiss that theory? I do. I, I don't think it's a, a totally bad theory. I just think it, there's a lot better explanations of his of his independent wealth like the next one which is that he's actually a drug dealer <laughs> well he's a pimp in the wig master or <laughs> looks like a pimp well yeah and also him being a drug dealer would explain his erratic behavior you know assuming that he partakes occasionally as well as sells uh, and it would also explain his i guess irregular and unorthodox lifestyle and also the fact that he is friends with a lot of not not bad people or dodgy people, but definitely people who are outside the mainstream. Um, you know, you could take that one step further and assume that maybe he has connections, even secondhand connections to nefarious people or dodgy people who would, you know, operate in the underworld. So that one, I don't think he would be a drug dealer because he's too nice and he's too much of an idiot. <laughs> but 
in terms of how it lines up with his character and explains his apparent financial independence, that one holds a bit more water than uh, him being a widow for me. Did he say words like hip or man? (laughs) (laughs) That's probably he knows about it. He knows all the terminology. He does. So, yeah, that that would add to the theory. Definitely. But the fact that he he completely fucks up in the sniffing accountant and he overdoes it and he tries to oversell how hip he is to cocaine kind of contradicts the idea of if, if he was a drug dealer, he would have played it a bit more smooth, I think. I think so too. And plus, yeah, yes. I mean, he, he's had shady people into his house and or his apartment, so yeah, I guess I that mean, theory adds up. Exactly. You think of the cable repairman in the um, the baby shower. Mm. You know, he's, although not, you know, high up in organized crime, he's definitely a bit of an underworld operator, a bit of a dodgy guy. So it kind of makes sense, a bit more based on who he knows and who he is. Well, if we ever do a what's the deal with Kramer, you know, at the end of Bidwell Bass, I don't think we ever will do the core four. We can uh, theorize about that. <laughs> yeah, we can, we can come up with some other theories. Uh, yeah, so check out the list of mental flaws. It's, uh, it's really good, and some of them are really, really cool. Uh, the second bit of news is recently, uh, over the weekend, it made headlines and will no doubt make headlines for the rest of the year and for years to come. The final Robert Mueller report came out. Uh, the, that report was the finalization of the ongoing uh, Russia, apparent Russia-Trump collusion uh, into the 2016 uh, election. And there's no um, evidence of collusion. No, no, no. So Mueller concluded that there was no solid proof that uh, the Trump campaign uh, colluded intentionally with uh, the Russian government or the Russian intelligence services to sway the election. I mean, there's evidence that there were relationships and dealings, but some overall strategy that hasn't been proven. Um, and obviously a lot of people were a bit shocked by that because I think a lot of people were hanging hopes on the report to be the sort of smoking gun in the downfall of Trump. Um, didn't work out like that. But uh, Stephen Colbert, a well-known um, American late-night talk show host, uh, shared his thoughts about it and uh, he compared the final report to both the season finales uh, of Lost and Seinfeld, um, <laughs> which is a bit a bit weird. But uh, when, when, you, when you read what he says, it makes sense. So... I'm not, I've never been a Lost fan, but I've always known about the ending because it was so sort of polarizing. I remember when it came out, it, you know, you either loved it or you hated it, kind of like Sopranos, I guess. Um, he said that the, the, the conclusion of the report in comparison to Lost, he said, this is worse than the finale of Lost. What about the smoke monster? Was it real or not? And if not, why have so many members of Trump's campaign pled guilty to lying about meeting with the smoke monster? So I think he's sort of saying, there seemingly is a lot of smoke, but no one can prove that there's been fire, which I think is a, a fairly reasonable comparison. Um, and in relation to Seinfeld, he said that he wished the report would have been more like the conclusion of Seinfeld, which, uh, and I quote uh, him here, he says, still disappointing, but at least they're all in jail. So I thought that was fun, a fun little quip about the... Um, you know, about the report in relation to the ending of Seinfeld. Yeah, well, it's interesting because Michael Avenatti actually got charged with extortion today as well for extorting yeah, Nike. Yeah, yeah, so maybe he'll have the uh, Seinfeld treatment. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> nice, nice. And the third and final bit of Seinfeld news this week, uh, Maryville University is uh, has just announced its 22nd season of its series, the St. Louis Speakers Series, so every year uh, at Powell Hall um, in Maryville, at Maryville University, they bring together a bunch of, I guess, industry leaders and influential people to give talks and lectures um, about all sorts of issues, uh, political, social, whatever. Um, and included in this year's guests are John Kerry, um, Susan Rice, 
and Bob Woodward, and also Jason Alexander, who, um, as we all know, played George Costanza uh, on the show. So uh, I believe they are broadcast. I've watched a few of the previous speeches uh, on YouTube, kind of like TED Talks in a way. Um, so I don't know when George will be speaking. Uh, sorry, George, Jason will be speaking. But if I remember to check it out in a few months, because I believe that the series starts in July, um, I'll, I'll make sure I mention it on Seinfeld News at that time. And I, that's all the Seinfeld News for the week. Very good, mate. And I could imagine that George would probably give a speech at a university. You college kids don't know how good you got it. Yeah, I think he'd try and talk them out of college for some reason because it didn't seemingly work out for him. I reckon he would have been in the same position in life whether he went to college or not. Oh, he'd try and talk them out of it. He'd try and sort of... <sighs> you know, uh, talk people out of it because it didn't work out for him rather than understand that maybe it's his fault. He'd blame the college system. Or he'd befriend someone who's studying architecture. Yeah, that's true. He'd, he'd grill them for information so that he could pretend to be an architect a bit better. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, that'd be so good. And his name would be Steve Corrin. That's right. Like the Van Buren right. boys. Yeah. Beautiful. Hey, let's have a quick break, mate. And uh, when we come back, we'll talk about the secondary characters from Season 7's The Wig Master, our 94th ever episode. This is But I Don't Want to Be a Secondary Character. Hi, this is Zach. And Aaron from Seinfeld Law. And uh, you are listening to But I Don't Want to Be a Secondary Character. Today, Stephen, we're talking about Season 7's The Wig Master, and uh, we have quite a few secondary characters to go through. Yeah, that's right. There's a few major secondaries and uh, lots of minor secondaries. That's right. I'm going to go through a plot synopsis like I normally do each week. Uh, this one's a bit meaty, but I'll try and trim it down as much as I can. Uh, so first aired in the US, April 4th, 1996, is The Wigmaster, directed by Andy Ackerman, written by Spike Ferriston. Uh, when Jerry leaves an upscale clothing store without making a purchase, he feels guilty and promises he'll return. When the sales clerk, Craig Stewart, played by Harry Van Gorkum, uh, looks sceptical, Jerry decides to return with Elaine just to prove a point. But when they return, he immediately begins flirting with Elaine, much to Jerry's, ch uh, Jerry's rather chagrin. Uh, Craig promises Elaine a big discount on a coal Miller dress that she likes, which has not arrived in stock yet. So is Jerry, I guess, is he like a cuck, do you think? I think he's trying not to be a cuck. But I, guess <laughs> being, I guess he is being, like he says, emasculated. He feels emasculated because he doesn't like the presumptuousness of uh, Craig assuming that, um, uh, that they're not in a relationship. Yeah, kind of, uh, I don't know, it upsets him a little bit. I guess he doesn't look like boyfriend material. Yeah, maybe. And I think men can sometimes have a bit of a competitive attitude. Even when Elaine is not in competition, Jerry doesn't want to go out with her. He just perceives Craig as some sort of threat to something that doesn't even exist. <laughs> so I don't really get it because Jerry has no right to feel upset, you know, but at the same time, I have felt those feelings before, so I kind of get where he's coming from. Yeah, you've been stroking your ponytail as well, wondering, you know, what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you used to have a ponytail, didn't you? Uh, I used to have long hair. I never. I put it in a ponytail sometimes, but not a not a nineties mullet ponytail. <laughs> Fair enough. Not a uh, you know Kenny G, you know esque. No. 
esque ponytail. No. <laughs> no. Meanwhile, George and Kramer have begun parking their cars at a place called Jiffy Park because their rates are so low. However, after picking his car up, George discovers a condom. Uh, probably used, uh, and suspects that the rates are low because prostitutes are serving their clients inside the cars. The lots can't retrieve uh, Kramer's own car for him, but to placate him, offers him the use of another customer's Mary Kay pink Cadillac Eldorado. George sticks around to see whether the suspicious women hanging around are actually prostitutes. He offers one of them money, but is caught by Susan, who assumes he's unfaithful. That's right, and it kind of follows on from uh, the suspicion she has when George is acting weird in the Cadillac, which again is the episode we did, the, two, the double episode we did last week. So I think uh, this change, the, the the Cadillac and how George was acting when he was trying to figure out a way to go out with Marissa Tomei that wasn't technically cheating, kind of changed the dynamic in their relationship. Like Susan just walks up out of nowhere. I think she's trying to keep an extra eye on George after that, and then after the Marissa Tomei stuff and the the Art Vandalay and the lie that she caught George out in with Elaine. Uh, yeah, she just turns up out of nowhere and then George uh, handing money, even though he wasn't doing anything wrong, George, you know, her seeing George hand money to the uh, to the prostitute doesn't help his case. <laughs> that, that's what I was thinking, Steve, because I was like, how come Susan went to Jiffy Park? I thought maybe she parked her car there as well. But no, you're no, probably I- right. You think that You think that she was just watching out for George. Yeah, I think she's keeping a few more tabs on him. <laughs> and she saw him with a prostitute. <laughs> yeah, and I think uh, I think... Whether that was an intentional coincidence uh, or, you know, just to catch George out, I don't know. But uh, in terms of canon, it kind of makes sense. And, you know, the evolution of their relationship, it's going downhill anyway. So it, it kind of lines up with the overall arc of their relationship as, as season seven goes through. I love it when Susan um, confronts George about it in the apartment. And then Susan's like, if this is going to continue, this probably won't work out. And then George yeah. goes, really? Because, you know, he's been trying yeah. to get out of it all season, the engagement. Yeah, George sees it as an out. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. He sees it as another out and he's hoping. And then she's go, she's like, I don't have any doubts. Do you? And then George is like, hmm, no. <laughs> uh, I don't know why he doesn't just break up with her. It's uh, so frustrating. It's funnier this way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm glad, I'm glad he doesn't because it creates a lot of humor. But, uh, if it was real life, I just, I'd just yell at him and go, just break up with her. Stop being, <laughs> stop being a wuss and just do it. But, yeah, anyway, uh, what about the rest of the episode? Yeah, sure. So George has an unwanted house guest in uh, Susan's friend Ethan, played by Patrick Bristow, who's the wig master working for a production of Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Uh, Ethan at one point admires Elaine's hair, telling her she could sell it for a lot of money. Ethan's co-worker, the show's costume designer, uh, played by Charmaine, oh, her name's Charmaine, rather, uh, lends Kramer the Technicolor Dreamcoat. Kramer puts on the coat combined with a large woman's hat blown off by the wind, and the Peterman walking stick that Elaine was reviewing and goes to pick up the pink Cadillac. He finds a prostitute servicing a client in the car. More oh, raunchy. And when he ejects her... <laughs> almost said the wrong word. <laughs> when he ejects... Uh, that's, that's what I was trying to say. Jacks her. Yeah, jacks, jacks her off. Uh, she starts arguing with him about the fee he's cost her. The police arrive and assuming Kramer to be a pimp, arrest him with that nice trip-hop, hip-hop kind of song. Jerry continues to fume about Craig's slight towards him and unsuccessfully attempts to return his jacket out of spite. So why are you returning this jacket? First bite. 
<laughs> Jerry tries changing his mind, but the manager, Bob, played by Zach Pfeiffer, doesn't listen. Jerry's lunching with the Wigmaster, another man named Jesse, played by Michael McDonald, stops by and starts flirting with the Wigmaster. Jerry demands to know why the other man assumed that he and the Wigmaster were not together. Jerry tries to convince Elaine that Craig is just promising the discount on the dress in order to keep seeing her. At first, she doesn't believe him, especially when she finds out that Craig also promises the discount to a male friend. Jerry's suspicions are confirmed. Elaine finds out the dress has been in stock in the store all along. And at the end of the episode, Elaine brandishes scissors at the sleeping Craig's long ponytail. Sweet revenge. Indeed is. Other secondary characters include uh, Shame Giraffe as uh, the Jiffy Park guy. He played the Jiffy Dump guy in uh, the Muffin Tops as well. Uh, Kim Chase played uh, Charmaine, the costume designer. Uh, Shashi Bhatia plays the flower girl who's at Monk's. Norman Brenner, who is uh, Kramer's or Michael Richards' stand-in on Seinfeld. Uh, he played Ian. And uh, Gina Mastro Giacomo is prostitute. Awesome, awesome. Is prostitute. Is prostitute. Is prostitute. Duh. Like a, Duh. Yeah, it sounds like um, uh, Borat. My sister, she's prostitute. <laughs> Number Even one prostitute in Kazakhstan. Yeah, just the way, <laughs> you know, she's because she's credited as prostitute. I know why you were saying it as he's prostitute. <laughs> when, you just, when, you just, when you hear it as a standalone uh, sentence, it yeah, it sounds like a, a stereotypical foreigner saying, Someone is a prostitute. It's funny. Maybe the Russians were colluding with Jiffy Park for their, like, sex room. <laughs> Maybe the Russian mafia were using it as some sort of cash businesses, cash, cash business to launder all their, their prostitute money through. Well, we can theorize that when we talk about Jiffy Park, guy, and uh, we can come up with ideas as to why Jiffy Park is doing what it's doing. That's right, we can. Before we do, though, uh, do you have any episode trivia? Uh, just a couple today. Um, so George, he's enthusiastic about the Jiffy Park lot, which is the opposite to his feeling about parking in a lot in Season three's The Parking Lot episode. Uh, he said back then, parking in a lot is like going to a prostitute. Why pay for it when if I apply myself, I can get it for free? Yeah, definitely a change of tune for George. Yeah, and what have you got? Uh, so the exterior shot of the Broadway theory, uh, theater where Kramer meets the Wigmaster is uh, the Majestic, which is on West 44th Street in New York. Mm. Uh, and it's been the home of Broadway production, uh, of Broadway productions like Andrew Lloyd Webber's Phantom of the Opera. Uh, and that, that has been going at that theatre since 1988. Fantastic. Uh, and the production the Wigmaster is working for, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, was also written by Lloyd Webber. So I thought, uh, I'm, I'm guessing that was like an intentional nod maybe. Yeah, I think so. Just a coincidence. I don't know. A nice little uh, little reference, little homage there. Definitely. Yeah. And just my last trivia fact, Steve. So uh, Zach Pfeiffer, who I mentioned before, plays Bob the manager. I'm sorry, we can't give you a refund for spate. <laughs> he uh, appeared, Stephen. You know how we were wondering who played the wake-up call guy in the hot tub? Yes. It was him. Oh, Bob. okay. Yeah, so he's made an appearance before in the hot tub. Okay, doing a voice, uh, a voice role. Nice. Yeah, he played the wake-up call guy, the one Jerry's suspicious about. Yeah, mm. that's a good little scene. Both scenes are really good, actually. I like him. I like Bob. Yeah. I like uh, Zach Pfeiffer. <laughs> he's, he's a funny guy. Yeah, he kind of reminded me of Dan Aykroyd. Did you get that vibe as well? I thought it was him. Um, yeah, now that you mentioned it, it kind of <laughs> looks like him. A little bit, yeah. And I just got that vibe because I watched it twice, you know, re for reviewing, and I was like, is that Dan Aykroyd? I keep thinking. I'm like, nah, it's not him. I think if Dan Aykroyd was on Seinfeld, we'd know about it because that would be considered one of the, the, the biggest celebrity appearances. Yeah, he plays a vodka salesman. Yeah. <laughs> Skull vodka. Yeah, that's right. Uh, let's talk about some secondary characters. I think we should start with the uh, episode's namesake, 
uh, Ethan, the Wigmaster. Played by actor and director Patrick Bristow, known for appearing in the films Showgirls, So I Married an Axe Murderer, and The Longest Yard. Nice, nice. Mm. Uh, yeah, I really like um, Ethan. I don't know why I blanked there. Ethan. Um, uh, yeah, it was Skype that did it. Yeah, it must have been a Skype delay. Stupid FBI. <laughs> um, yeah, he. I mean, he's a bit of a stereotypical character in that he works in theatre. He's very flamboyant, um, even though they never mention it and it's not really relevant to the storyline. I'm going to... I think fairly safely assume that he's gay. Um, I mean, it is more or less confirmed when uh, he's asked out by Jesse at the end of the episode, uh, much to the um, dissatisfaction and unhappiness of Seinfeld. Um, yeah, so I, I like his character and I like that there was a, a confident, uh, you know, successful gay character in a, in a sitcom where they weren't in abundance, especially in the 90s. But uh, I think he's a bit of a stereotype. I don't think he'd... Uh, be as stereotypical if it was a, a show in 2019, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, he was he was around before Will and Grace and those other kind of shows, so he kind of pioneered the uh, gay character in sitcoms, I guess. Yeah, I've never thought of that, um, you know, but I'm sure, I, I mean, I don't know, I'm sure if I talk to uh, a gay person, especially a gay man who has a, you know, a long history and knowledge of, of sitcoms, I'm sure they would acknowledge his character as being a positive step to better portrayals of, you know, non-straight characters in, in TV in general. Um, you know, regardless of his stereotypical nature, I, I just really like his character. He's just, he's very obviously comfortable in his own skin. Um, I, I would assume that he probably went through a lot of bullying and probably had some hard times in his life to get to a place where he's happy with himself and he's happy with his career. And uh, he seems to be doing what he loves. He, he obviously uh, takes pride in his, in his work. I would assume that he sees his job as a privilege because theatre and any sort of creative industry tend to be hard to break into. You know, there's not a lot of roles, especially paying roles, um, and it is highly competitive. So I think that makes him take extra pride in what he does and, and be really thankful for it. I just thought he was a really upbeat kind of positive spin uh, on, on the episode. Yeah, he was. Now, he was a very positive character. George obviously finds him quite annoying. Um, so he's one of Susan's friends, and, uh, yeah, George just gets really frustrated by him. I'm, I'm sure he's not... For George, he's not a punisher like Banya is to Jerry. I think he's just a bit mildly annoying. And maybe Jerry's, um, Jerry, George is a bit funny about the wigs being in his house. He's yeah, probably got a I weird mean, thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I kind of get where George is coming from because a house guest, you know, I have friends stay with me or family members stay with me. And after a few days, they can, unless they're going out and doing their own thing most of the day, if they're here on, if they're here in Melbourne visiting or something. But, if they're living there and kind of working from home for two weeks straight, I could understand how George, especially in a pretty small apartment, would feel a bit. And and George's apartment, even though Susan lives there, is kind of his sanctuary as well. So I can understand with all the wigs being everywhere, he would feel a bit uh, like his sanctuary is being taken over by some sort of foreign, uh, you know, foreign entity. Um, but at the same time, I don't think he has a legitimate reason to be annoyed by him because he's such a nice kind of guy. And, you know, I reckon it'd be a lot of fun to hang out with. But I think George is also upset by just the fact that he's a kind of like a positive, easygoing kind of person, um, you know, and George doesn't doesn't jive with that, you know. Like, George is not a very happy person. <laughs> so when he sees someone who is seemingly very happy within themselves, yeah, I think that just rubs him, probably makes him, you know, probably makes him a bit self-aware and a bit self-loathing as well, even more so. I'd certainly have a champagne coolie with him, though. 
Yeah. Yeah, it'd be nice. Um, but I, I think with his career, I think he was always into wigs. I believe yeah. he probably did an apprenticeship or I don't, I'm not familiar with like the creative, the performance industry, like what happens, like whether you do an apprenticeship or you work under an experienced person or maybe I'm not too sure how it works, but I could imagine he would have got an apprenticeship and then he would have got straight into wigs. Yeah. I could imagine him maybe like two pathways to being a wig master. One, maybe, uh, you know, entering theater, like just in general costume design or prop management. And then eventually specializing in wigs, maybe he found that that was his favorite part. Or maybe he has a background in like hairstyling or something, you know, so he can apply a lot of the skills to hairstyling to wigs. I'd say so, yeah. Um, but do you, think, like do you think there's any correlation with his career also with Charmaine, the wardrobe designer, or do you think they just met on set? Or do you think maybe Charmaine kind of guided him to be who he was? Um, I don't think she's a mentor of any sort. I uh-huh. think she she seems senior, more senior to him. I mean, they don't really describe her position in detail, but I think she's a bit more senior. You know, maybe she's the stage manager or just like the touring manager or something. Um, now she uh, was the wardrobe designer. Oh, is she the wardrobe designer? Yeah, Sorry, she 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 lends Kramer the uh, the coat. Well, I guess in <laughs> I don't know much about theatre hierarchy, but I guess someone who is the wardrobe manager. Would also, you know, because wigs are only one part of the wardrobe, I think that, yeah, she would be his senior. But whether she's his professional mentor, I, I don't know. It could be the case. They could have just met on this tour or this production. But either way, they seem to be very close friends as well as colleagues. There seems to be a lot of mutual respect there. Um, so I think, you know, whether it's long term or short term, their relationship is, is uh, one of love and respect. You know, professionally speaking. Go get a calendar. It's the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a great line. <laughs> yeah, it is good. yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah. I, the last thing I wanted to say about Ethan, it, when he, the fact that he just is so comfortable drinking champagne coolie, whereas I think a lot of people would feel a bit embarrassed about it because it's considered, you know, maybe a bit of a girly drink. Oh, um, yes. Amongst guys, you know that saying of um, love yourself like Kanye loves Kanye? Yeah. You know, because Kanye is very confident and he loves himself very very much i thought uh, a worthwhile saying would be uh you know be as confident as a wig master who orders champagne coolly because he just orders it with no qualms he's just like this is what i drink i don't care what anyone thinks fuck you sort of thing not fuck you but i don't give a shit what anyone thinks and i i really respect that confidence i i really like ethan a lot good for him he's a yeah. great bloke. <laughs> yeah definitely definitely and i think for someone like him who is a bit more flamboyant and, uh, you know, effeminate, I guess you could say. Um, working in theatre is probably a, an industry where he could be himself a bit more, you know, in a, a bit, bit more of a safe and comfortable way. You know, he wouldn't have to worry too much about being disrespected or, or, or you know, any sort of, any sort of uh, you know, any negative, uh, uh, I guess, relationships or, or anything like that. Yeah, for sure. For sure. But yeah. I, I really liked him. Yeah, no, he's he's really cool. Even though he, I could imagine him being a bit of a punisher because he is quite outgoing, and uh, I'm more of an introvert, so I I can't handle extroverts for a long period of time. Um, I yeah, still like him a lot. Um, yeah, you, you get sick of me. <laughs> I'm an extrovert, and you just hang up on me after Skype. <laughs> <laughs> like last time. <laughs> See you, man. <laughs> yeah, accident. Yeah. My grandfather's like that, actually. He's 97 now, I think, or 98, and he's an old Serbian man. Good on him. Good on him, yeah. He's, he's, he's still in pretty good nick for his age. But uh, he is just the least personable person on the phone. If I call him up, 
you know, just to say, like if I just call him up just to say hello and just to touch base with him, he'll just cut me off if I'm talking about what's going on in my life. He'll just say, what do you want or what's the point of this call? And I'll just say, oh, you know, just to say hello, no, no particular agenda. He goes, yep, well, I'm good. Are you good? Yep, okay. And he literally says good and hangs up. Doesn't even say bye. Just goes, good, click. Yeah, that's like my my grandmother um, when I used to call her on the phone. You know, I'd, I'd ring her and then we'd talk, how you, how are you or whatever. And then 20 seconds later, okay, I'm done. Goodbye. Yeah, I think it's just all, all business, no, no bullshit. Just say what you need to say. Anything else is unnecessary. See you later. They don't want to miss bold and the beautiful. Exactly, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Actually, my, my, the same grandfather loves bold and beautiful. He used to talk to me about it. He'd go, oh. Brooke is so attractive or, you know, Taylor, <laughs> she shouldn't have slept with Reeds or whatever happened. I can't remember because they all just fuck each other and they're all just like, you know, inhumanly attractive. <laughs> yes. 85 years old. But, yeah, he was he was really into it. Oh, Ridge. What a yeah, handsome man. A man's man with that jaw. Ridge's jaw. Jesus. Yeah, there's a big lot of ridges on his jaw. <laughs> yeah, hope he insured it. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it was worth millions. Cool. Uh, let's talk about Craig, the other main secondary character uh, from this episode. Craig Stewart, played by British theatre and film actor Harry von Gorkum, uh, known for appearing in The Mortal Instruments, City of Bones, Tears of the Sun, and Agent Cody Banks. Uh, he's also re- uh, appeared in Batman and Robin and Gone in 60 Seconds. And he was in the final season of TV show 24. He played the British Foreign Minister. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, didn't get any of his theatre credits. I couldn't find them, but, yeah, he's been in theatre as well. Right. I can imagine him being a classically trained theatre actor because he's got got quite a – assuming that's his natural accent in in the episode, uh, he's got quite a posh, seemingly educated kind of accent. (laughs) He's probably like, hey, mate, my my name's Harry. I'm going to be on Seinfeld, yeah? Come to the theatre. Yeah, mate. (laughs) You like this crest on this jacket? (laughs) <laughs> Apologies to all of our British listeners out there Oh, they love us Yeah, that's true, that's true They can make fun of our accent, so we can make fun of theirs That's right uh, Yeah, so Craig, he is a slime ball. A slime ball, and he takes advantage of Elaine uh, yep. By basically, you know, dangling the li- almost literal Well, not the literal, but the metaphorical carrot in front of uh, The metaf- of the literal uh, black dress in front of Elaine Just waves like it in front a- of her what does Jerry say? Like a like a dirt farmer dangles a carrot in front of a mule. <laughs> yeah, yes, basically. Yeah, in a nutshell. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's right. Um, yeah, I think he's. Uh, I think he knows he's kind of charming, and I think he knows that people would find him attractive because of maybe because of his job and his access to you know highly sought after and expensive clothes. So I think this is quite normal for him, especially when it maybe comes to women. I think they'd maybe charmed by his British accent and. He's, you know, he's, he's, I'm guessing he's a smart, educated kind of guy. And the fact that he has access to, to luxurious clothes, I think, would be a bit of an attractive thing to a lot of people. And I think he he knows that. And I think he intentionally uh, dangles those metaphorical carrots uh, more than more than more than once. I mean, he does it to Ian, you know, so, you know, and apparently Ian's his mate. So wouldn't be surprised if he does it regularly to women. Yeah. And I have to add to that as well. Yeah. He is a, a high end. Well, he works in a high end retail outlet you know so he's yeah he's got a lot of uh, i guess charisma and uh, prestige and elaine's very attracted to him initially yeah and i think um yeah the, the sort of clientele that come in to a shop like that i imagine 
might be a bit more superficial. So someone who has knowledge of high-end clothes, which in the big scheme of things aren't important at all, um, you know, I think they'd be attracted to someone with knowledge of, of high-end products because, you know, wealthier people can afford that sort of life and, and things that it, that it provides. La-di-da. La-di-da. Yeah, I just think, I think superficial customers would be attracted to his knowledge of what is essentially just superficiality in general. Yeah. Uh, how yeah. much How much hair do you reckon Elaine cut? Do you reckon she, she just cut the ponytail or went all the way? No, I reckon she cut it right at, you know, the rubber band or the hair tie that's that's uh, tying it up. I reckon she cut right at the right at the very, like, base of the ponytail. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Oh, I, I could imagine that she probably, maybe he was in such a deep sleep that she, he, she cut around as well, you know, so he just had, like, a little bit of hair on the top. <laughs> oh, okay. That would be pretty pretty spiteful like that would be extra spiteful even for elaine like the ponytail is a lot but to cut more than that that's yeah i mean i could imagine it now that i think about it but that would be very very aggressive i i wish there was a post credit scene where you could see his reaction to not having a ponytail or maybe he's like in the shop and he's trying to flirt with another woman and he doesn't have his ponytail and his he's like samson he needs his hair <laughs> And maybe he tries to, you know, get with another woman and they're like, oh, no, you're a sleaze. That's, that's where his sleaze and charm comes from. That's right, yeah, yeah. His power. Yeah. Uh, I was thinking, I wanted to ask you, I have a theory, but I wanted to see what you thought first. Sure. Uh, why do you think he's in New York? Do you think he lives there or if he's just working for a short period of time or what? Uh, I believe, well, I didn't think about it too much, but I can imagine he lives there. He's been there for a while, you know, maybe, maybe he worked in like London high-end retail stores, you know, in, I, what, what's the name of, is, what's the main uh, London street with all the fashion? Is there, is Oxford. it Oxford? Oxford yeah, he probably worked on Oxford Street for a while, mm. different fashion outlets, and then probably went directly to New York, or maybe he went to LA, Rodeo Drive, I don't know, and then he went to New York. He just has yep. a career, you know, working in high-end sales. Yep, and yep. That, that's a pretty good one. I thought um, maybe because the Andover shop is something, I mean, there's no proof of this. I'm just assuming that I think there's Andover shops in all of the fashion capitals in the world. So I'm guessing there's one in LA, one in New York, one in London, one in Paris, one in Rome, you know, one in Tokyo, or maybe one in Sydney as well. <laughs> um, so I reckon he was sent from, I reckon the, the, the flagship store is in London and maybe the New York store was, was lagging in sales a bit. They just needed a bit of a, a bit of a you know a bit of re-energization so i reckon he was sent over as someone to sort of spruce the sales up and air uh, lend a bit of you know a bit of an air of class to it by by being this knowledgeable good english kind of salesman directly from the flagship store what's spruce, sprucing it up with his regal british accent yeah and just just making it seem a bit more classy i guess and also just re-energizing it because he was so good in London. I reckon he was sent over to New York to sort of just revitalize the store a bit. Wow, you thought about it a lot. <laughs> yeah, you know, and that's where I think he knows Ian from as well. They don't really talk about their relationship other than the fact that they're mates back from back home in England. But I would, wouldn't be surprised if Ian was uh, maybe the manager in London or maybe another salesman. I'm not sure, but I think that's where their relationship stems from. I did notice that Ian is very well dressed as well. So maybe yeah. maybe um, Craig gives him discounts or something. Yeah, definitely. Um, and the fact that, I mean, I don't know if you noticed it, but when Craig talks to Ian, he kind of talks, 
uh, talks him up or talks to him like he is a bit of a, maybe a, um, like a mentor or someone he used to look up to. So that sort of made me think that Ian was maybe his former boss or store manager, or maybe he was a salesman and he trained up Craig to be, you know, a a gun salesman as well. Yeah. And they're just both um, uptidy British people. Yes, very. Very, quite. Yeah. Yeah, so I I mean, I thought Craig was funny, but I didn't really like him as a person too much. Yeah, I didn't like him much either. No, he's just got, yeah, he's just got skeezy all over him, written all over him. I just wanted yeah. to see what happened post haircut. Like, I just wanted to see his reaction and how far down he would have gone. That would have been nice. But I guess at Seinfeld, there's none of that kind of, you know, kind of stuff. There's no follow-up. Nah. You have to assume. Um, do you want to talk about Craig anymore or someone else? Uh, Jiffy Park guy. Yep, cool. Played by actor Shame Giraffe, known for appearing in Waterworld, Just Like Heaven, and The Beast of War. I have mentioned a couple of times that he has also appeared... Oh, he actually appeared in Season 8's The Muffin Tops. Sorry, I thought The Muffin Tops was a previous episode for some reason. But yeah, Season 8, of course. We did an episode of it. Um, he played a Jiffy Dump guy in that episode. And that's he's the guy where Kramer tries to offload the excess Muffin Tops to. Uh, and he's like, you can't offload those. <laughs> we can't. We can't collect those. No. So, obviously, this guy, he works for, I'm guessing Jiffy is probably a conglomerate. You know, they, they probably own car parks, sanitation centres, that sort of thing, recycling centres. And uh, I'm guessing he was working in the parking lot and then he ended up working in the, um, you know, in the dump. I, I have a theory that maybe his he was heavily involved in the prostitution ring at Jiffy Park. I think he was probably the ringleader. Yeah. And maybe to prevent possibly either, you know, bad PR for Jiffy, the company as a whole, or maybe to keep it quiet and say, hey, you know, we don't want you working here anymore. Maybe he just got reassigned to work in the uh, the dump. Yeah, I, d- I, didn't, I didn't know that he was the Jiffy dump guy. Mm. So I didn't do it. But as you're talking about it and as I'm thinking about it, that kind of makes sense. I reckon they moved him to being a uh, Jiffy dump guy to, yeah, to prevent... The, the, the prostitution ring from leaking to the media. Maybe That's, he threatened to do maybe they threatened to fire him and then he said, Well, I'll go to the media yeah. and just keep him keep him quiet. They uh they they shut his operation down but then kept him in the company. That yeah, that's what I think as well. Yeah. Yeah. So you reckon he's the ringleader? Do you reckon he's a pimp or just the organizer, the facilitator of like where it all happens and maybe the girl's pimped out by someone else. I believe just the facilitator. Uh, I don't think he was one of the pimps. Uh, but, yeah, I think he just allowed, you know, he had everyone's keys for the cars and he allowed people just to have sex with them and he probably got a commission or a cut. Yep. For I mean, that's usually how it goes mm. with cash businesses. You know, if you're doing something illegal uh, in a legal place, you normally give a some sort of cut to the owner or whoever is allowing that place to be the, uh, you know, where it's happening. So, yeah, that would make sense. Um I, I'm guessing he's based on the actor, um, and I think his accent and just his general appearance. I think he's Middle Eastern. I couldn't couldn't sort of pinpoint uh, an accent or a country or anything like that. Did you have any ideas? Maybe I'd probably say Middle Eastern. Yeah, some of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's a, that's a that's a large area, but that's as close as I could think. There's that's nothing cool. obvious that made me think maybe he's from this country or this region or this city or something like that. Yeah. Do, do you know who he reminded me of? Do you know mm. the dodgy salesman in The Simpsons with the mustache? He's like, hey, buddy. You know who kind of talks like, you know, you know that guy. Oh, it's going to cost you. Which episode? Oh, he's in several episodes. He's like the dodgy sales guy. He's usually like a front counter guy, or you know, if if oh. someone's trying to return something, he try he tries to talk around and he's like, oh, well, buddy, you got to do this. The guy with the oh. mustache. 
the New York guy. No, no, he's in. I'll send you a picture of it after the episode. But if you're a Simpsons fan, if you're listening, uh, you probably know who I'm talking about. He kind of talks like this. Hey. Is he the guy who um, is selling uh, peanuts at, at an event? And then Marge goes, do you follow my husband everywhere? And he goes, lady, your kid's putting my kids through college. That guy, yeah. But he's in several episodes. Oh. He, pl- he always plays like a front-end sales guy or like a dodgy car salesman or something. He just he, he reminded me of him. He was just very – he's just really dodgy, really precocious. And, um, yeah, it was just <laughs> – he just had that kind of demeanor, you know, where George is like, you know, so you're prostituting, uh, you know, people out. And he goes, oh, what, what do you mean? You know, he tries to talk around it, and he goes, "I, ha- I just, I just get my car and leave." And he goes, "Oh, I'm afraid your car's in the back. Why can't you just, you know, that's the idea of a parking lot, isn't it?" And he's like, "Bear with me, bear with you. You meant to get this people's is a parking lot. Yeah, people are supposed to be able to get their cars. Ideally, ideally. <laughs> yeah, it kind of reminds me of that dude from The Simpsons. Ideally." Yeah, no. Now that you mention it, I can see the um the commonality there for sure. I'll send you a picture of him, and you'll know who it is. Yeah, no, no, I do know who you, who you mean now. Now that, uh, yeah, you, I, that's who I thought it was when you verified that. Sick. Um, do you think he uh, is maybe working the parking lot because he can launder his cash? You know, if, assuming he's getting a 10 or 20% cut of whatever the girls make, he can use the parking lot to launder his cash through it? Uh, launder, maybe, yeah. Or maybe he just yeah. takes his cut and that's it. I don't know, what, what, okay. what would he launder it with? Like he launder with parking fees? Uh, I don't know, actually. I just I always associate parking lots as like a cash business, kind of like laundromats, you know, and they're, they're pretty, they're pretty um, popular in terms of being used for, for money laundering because they're cashless and receiptless and stuff like that. But I guess it, now that I think about it, if he's working for Jiffy, it's not his business. We so can't really launder something, uh, you know, through a business that isn't his own. He can't control the books. No, he's just providing the facilities and he's got the keys and I, I, he just gets his cut and, it, and it's additional to the Jiffy income or the, the profit. So yeah, he just gets it on top. He gets it yeah. on the side. That's true. That's true. Yeah. And uh, then uh, he became a dump guy, like a, like you said, like you added to my theory. And yeah, it's very true. He was probably going to go to the media. would have been a massive PR fail for Jiffy. They would have mm-hmm. lost a lot of revenue and stuff. And they thought, oh, fine, we'll just relegate you to, to the dumps, to one of our dumps. Much like, much like the Catholic Church. Oh, that's a story for another time. It is. It is. <laughs> bloody, uh, bloody anyway, pill. Uh, <laughs> bloody pill, Stephen. Bloody pill, bloody pill. Um, pill awaits. Do you know the band Friends Are Wrong? Yeah. They're always, uh, they've always got really amazing t-shirts, and I saw one of their t-shirt, t-shirt designs recently. It was actually designed before uh, Ian, uh, um, is it Ian Pell? No. Uh, George Pell. George Pell um, was sentenced. It's got it's a it's a ripoff of the Slayer logo, which is kind of like a crucifix. Yeah, with made of swords, and they've got a I think they've got a song or an album called Hello Eights, and it's got like a devil or something on the cover. But the the Friends of Ron parody is George Pell with the the Slayer logo, but in the Slayer sort of font. It says Pellowaites, and it's got him, like, burning in hell. It's, ah, okay. Yeah, and now it, I, I, he was obviously charged and convicted, so they wouldn't have made it without reason, but now that um, now that he's being convicted, it's, I'm sure, a popular T-shirt for them. <laughs> they probably had a printer, like, at the printers waiting. They're like, okay, let's wait for the verdict. All right, print. <laughs> yeah. A thousand, yeah. thousand shirts, please. Yeah, that's right. It's an ounce. They, um, you know, the printer got a text from Friends of Rom saying, print away. <laughs> Fire away. Yeah. 
That's it. Yeah. Uh, do you have any notes on any other secondaries? Or? Uh, uh, just a bit about Bob the Manager, uh, played yep. by Zach Pfeiffer. He's appeared in Adam's Family Values, Get Shorty, and Romy Michelle's High School Reunion. Nice. Yeah. Um, yeah, Bob the Manager, he... Uh, you know, very straightforward manager. He doesn't muck around. You know, he would have been, he'd be very helpful if he weren't trying to be, you know, dodgy or spiteful like Jerry was. Because Jerry says, oh, I'm, I want to return it out of spite. And he goes, we don't do that. And then he says, oh, I just don't want it anymore. And then Bob's like, well, you already said spite. So, you know, yeah. he, he, he sticks to the rules, man. Yeah, I definitely think he's the by the books guy. Um, I got the impression that maybe, unlike Craig, he's not from money or some sort of highly educated background. Because uh, when Craig and Elaine are on their date, uh, Elaine says something about, you know, you work with some pretty upscale clientele, except Bob, you know. So I think they're kind of having a stab at him that maybe he's, although he's a he's a good manager and he knows a lot about high-end fashion, maybe he's not from the same background as Craig is. He's seen as maybe a little less sophisticated or something like that. And he had to work his way up to become manager. Or maybe him and uh, him and Craig are like rivals. Maybe Craig wanted the managerial position and then Bob got it. Yep. And he's yep. had it over him ever since. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that might be another reason uh, why Craig, uh, you know, promises to get discounts on suits and dresses just to sort of fuck with Bob a bit. Because I'm sure that would cause a nightmare for him, if, if people are coming in and saying, oh, I want to get a discount on this dress, Craig said I could have it, and then Bob goes, I don't know what you're talking about. So maybe it's a bit of a, you know, a bit of a psychological fuck around with, with Bob for Craig. Maybe that's part of his motivation as well. Craig is such a manipulative bastard. He is. It's just that ponytail, man. Yeah, and I bet you he's in your top 20 secondary characters of all time. No, he's not. <laughs> no, he's not. No, he's, do, you he's other, not. <laughs> do you have any other notes of secondary characters? Uh, the only other one I wanted to talk about, and we kind of have already, uh, is Charmaine, the um, costume, was a costume manager? Or uh, the wardrobe, I think wardrobe designer, wardrobe, wardrobe co- coordinator, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, she's a costume designer. She's played by actress Kim Chase. That's right, that's right. Um, I think she is uh, a good person and a good boss, but I think the fact that she is successful in theatre has gone to her head a bit. She comes across like a bit of a like a typical kind of theatre wanker. Yeah, she's really superficial, though, isn't she? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the fact that she kind of uh, rips on that lady walking past is just unnecessary. It's like, don't, you know, don't give shit to people you don't know. It's just, she just comes across as a bit, uh, just a bit full of herself. I don't think she's genuinely a mean person, but I just think she thinks that she's a bit better than a lot of people because yeah. she's got a, you know, hoity-toity career in, in, in theatre. Yeah, very pretentious she is, and uh, yeah. yeah, she. And, and it's funny, like you made a good point. I mean, she doesn't say stuff behind people's backs; she just says it to their face. Yeah, very you know, yeah, vindictive yeah, kind of person. Unnecessarily, yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's just mean to that person walking past for no reason. Now you mentioned yeah. it; she's pretty rude. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's pretty. I would, if if someone yelled that at me, or if I was next to someone who yelled that at someone else, um, I wouldn't be too happy about it. So yeah, I hope Kramer got that jacket dirty. Fuck her. <laughs> I think he did as well, just to make her job a bit harder. Yeah, he probably did when he got handled by the cops. Yeah. For, for before sure. his mugshot. <laughs> yeah, I'm not right. a pimp. <laughs> <laughs> um, I did have some notes on Susan in this episode, but we kind of talked about it in the synopsis where I think her suspicion of George has increased a bit since the Cadillac, since all the uh, shenanigans with Marissa Tomei, and that's why she turns up to the parking lot because she's just keeping an extra eye on him. 
Yeah. How she knew he was there, I don't know. Maybe she knew that the car was there, so she went to pick it up and George just happened to be there. Yeah, or maybe um, he mentioned that he was going to Jiffy Park and she decided to go have a look. Yeah, just to be like, oh, hang on, why is he going to Jiffy Park? Um, and the fact as well that he, uh, you know, when Kramer calls up George to come pick him up, he keenly is like, okay, I'm going to pick Kramer up. So I think that as well, you know, whereas George is normally quite reluctant to do favours for friends, but the fact that he's so willing to go out of his way uh, adds to Susan's suspicion as well. Like he's all these flimsy excuses to just get out of the house, whereas normally he wouldn't do that. Yeah, and it's a lead on from the Cadillac like we did last week. Yeah, exactly. I think I think her suspicion of him has increased. So she's just a bit, and she's a smart person. Um, you know, even though she has no reason to think that George was having an affair because she caught them out, she is just acting a bit more strangely. So I think she's just sort of reacting to that as anyone would. Yeah, and then she dies a few weeks later. So <laughs> yeah, it's all for nothing. All for nothing. <laughs> all for nothing. I can't wait till we do the invitations. Yeah, it'll be a good app. It'll, it'll be, be a fun one. Classic app. Yeah. Um, the only other person that I had notes on, and again, we've kind of covered him when we talked about Craig, um, but I just wanted to mention him specifically, was Ian or Ian? Ian. 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 Yeah, so he was played by uh, Norman Brenner. Yeah, um, Michael Richards stand-in. That's right, that's right. Yeah. Uh, and uh, like we mentioned when we were talking about Craig, I think he is maybe his old boss, um, his old sales manager, something like that, from England. Yeah. I don't think he's working in New York like uh, like Craig is. Um, I think he's maybe just on vacation or something like that, and uh, somehow he lets Craig know that he's in town. Um, oh, no, sorry, they just run into each other, don't they? Yeah, they run into each other, yes. Yeah, so maybe maybe they would hang around the same sort of areas. So, you know, it'd be hard to run into someone in New York because it's such a big city. Um, you know, so maybe they go to, like, the same sort of restaurants or something, so there's a higher chance of them running into each other. Um, yeah, and that's all I really have on him, other than what we talked about before. Yeah, and that's all I have on the other secondary characters as well. So uh, that was the week, Master. So what do you reckon, Steve? We'll take one more break, and uh, we'll find out after the break where the week Master sits in our top episodes of all time, and uh, if any of today's secondary characters make our top 20. Sounds good. We'll be back. I'd like to return this jacket. Certainly. May I ask why? First bite. <laughs> Spite? That's right. I don't care for the salesman that sold it to me. I don't think you can return an item for spite. What do you mean? Well, if there was some problem with the garment, if it were unsatisfactory in some way, then we could do it for you. But I'm afraid spite doesn't fit any of our conditions for a refund. That's ridiculous. I want to return it. What's the difference what the reason is? Let me speak with the manager. Excuse me. Welcome back to But I Don't Want to Be a Secondary Character. This week we are doing The Wigmaster. So, Ivan, did uh, where did this episode appear in your uh, top episodes that we've done so far? Well, out of the 77 we've done so far, Stephen, low on the list, number 72. Okay. I found there were a lot of loose ends, especially with Jerry and George's subplots. Um, yeah, a few things that, you know, usually the, all the subplots get wrapped up in a nice pretty little bow, but for some reason Jerry's didn't really get wrapped up. You know, and uh, I didn't see a scene with Craig after he got his ponytail cut, so I was a bit disappointed. Uh, I was laughing. There were a few funny moments. You know, Kramer being the pimp and stuff was pretty hilarious, and I have mentioned several times I did love the hip-hop <laughs> soundtrack behind it as well. I reckon we'll use that in post-production. I'll try and find it, and we'll make it maybe our theme music for the week, <laughs> if I can find it. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I, a weak episode. Um, I've mentioned in the past that there's no real bad episode of Seinfeld for me, but, yeah, a lot of loose ends here. And uh, yeah, I really wish they wrapped up some more of the subplots like they usually do. So uh, yeah, that that was me. What, what about you, man? 
Uh, yeah, I'm the same. It comes in at number 61. 61, so yeah. Okay. Below. Um, I think we've mentioned this the last few weeks. The more episodes we do, the more difficult it is to... Differ- I couldn't tell you, unless I really thought about it, why I put this one at 61 and not 62 or 60 or 71. It's just... It's more of just a feeling of like, yeah, it feels about this. Um, and why I put it low is kind of similar to you. I I didn't think there was any really bad moments or weak moments, but there was just nothing that really stood out to me as really great. I think it was just mostly average or a bit below average the way, you know, the way through the episode. Yeah, I agree. And when you speak to Seinfeld fans, not many people reference The Wigmaster. You know, when people say, oh, what's a good episode? No one really says The Wigmaster. It's just one of those forget forgettable ones. And I, I, for me, it's probably the, what we've done so far for Season 7, probably the worst Season 7 episode we've done so far. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. Um, it seems like a lot of these ideas were just sort of, you know, like potential B-plots and C-plots. You know, and they were struggling maybe to come up with an episode and they kind of just somehow mushed together a bunch of, you know, secondary kind of um, episode plots together to just make an episode. Like none of the storylines really stood out as super strong. Yeah. It just seemed like a bunch of like second rate B and C plots for other characters kind of just jammed together into its own episode. Yeah, that's right. I found the writing to be a bit off as well. Like it wasn't really yeah. coherent. Yeah, it probably could have been written better. But, oh, well, there's another 179 episodes of Seinfeld, so... Much better ones. That's right. Do any of the characters appear in your top 10 or 20? Charmaine. No, she doesn't. (laughs) No, no (laughs) one does. How about you? Uh, Yeah, I'm the same. Yeah, cool. Yeah, no one this week. First time in a while. Um, But, yeah, yeah, that was the Wigmaster Man. So, uh, yeah, thanks for listening. Uh, You can find us online if you want to listen to us, bidwabask.com. That's B-I-D-W-B-A-S-C. We're on social media. Uh, platforms facebook twitter instagram at b-i-d-w-b-a-s-c send us an email if you want bidwabaspodcast at gmail.com and uh, we're on patreon as well steve that's right you can head to patreon.com and check out our different tiers uh, and what different levels of access get you and uh, you can check us out on any podcast service uh, and if you want to leave a review um, or tell someone you might think uh, who, who you might think like us why can i never get that sentence right uh, I'm, I, we get what you're if trying you want to say. tell anyone about us that's all I need to say. <laughs> that would be amazing. That would be amazing. And for our 95th episode, Stephen, uh, he'll be back in the studio with me. And it is a what's the deal with episode. Every fifth episode we talk about, rather than an episode of Seinfeld and its characters, we usually talk about one or more major secondary characters. And uh, next week, Steve, we're talking about Elaine's bosses. That's right. I've been looking forward to this one for a long time. So I'm glad yeah. we finally... Yeah, man. So we'll talk about um, Mr. Lippman and also his previous incarnation, Mr. Brickman from The Red Dot. Uh, a bit about Mr. Pitt as well, and maybe a bit more information about Jay Peterman. We already have done a Jay Peterman episode, but maybe we'll uh, touch on his character a bit more as well. Yeah, I mean, we didn't cover every part of Jay Peterman in uh, his own What's the Deal, but uh, yeah, we'll, we'll elaborate a bit. We'll have to go back and listen to that episode to see what we've already covered so we don't repeat ourselves. That's right. My name's Ivan. I'm Stephen. And thanks for being with us for another week, and uh, we'll see you next week for Bidwabask. Okay, take care.